0: Welcome to a new episode of the Everything Leaves podcast. I'm Kevin Papetti here with Nick D'Souza. Nick, 4-0 and since we last recorded, including a big win against Carolina today. How excited should we be about this team right now, and what would you think of the game today? Well,
1: that third period was absolutely crazy. That might be one of the best games in terms of just excitement level that I've seen in a while, especially a regular season game. That was crazy.
0: It was a roller coaster because the 3-0 lead you just thought okay the Leafs are winning this game it seemed like they were going to win comfortably and then just to blow it to go down five three five unanswered goals and then it just felt like Marner and Matthews and and they'll throw Hyman in there just took over so I think we should give them the Matthews Marner Hyman I think we should give them our three stars for this week what do you think about that
1: well we got to keep it interesting so are those your three stars then
0: those are definitely mine
1: Okay, so I'll go Matthews, Marner, and then I'm going to throw one in for Michael Hutchinson because of how important I think that win on Saturday was, even though it was against Detroit. And But Hutchinson was amazing, especially in those first two periods when the Leafs were, were kind of asleep. So I was super happy then, so I'm going to give him my third star.
0: And they're going to need him again because they have a back-to-back coming up. But So we're going to the break here, so let's quickly recap this week. We're going to do a mailbag later on, but... Before we get there, so we had four games, uh, just because we we recorded after the Carolina game today. So to start, it was a 5-3 win versus Buffalo. Gauthier scores 2-30 in. Matthews kind of takes over in the second with two beautiful goals. And then you had Timishov, uh, a late third period goal, Mikhail empty netter. It did get a little bit close there when, when we almost saw a comeback, but... The Leafs pulled it out. It was probably the best game for the Riley-Berry pairing. Um, so that was the first win of the week. And then we saw a 6-3 win against the Rangers where Engvall and Nylander go... They make it 2-0. Uh, the Rangers quickly tie it up. Marner gets the the power play goal. Bucinevic ties it up. And then Nylander, Marner... they They score the winner. So I think... I think it was Nylander first, then Marner, and then Mikhaev with an empty net. So it was, it was closer than we, than the score indicates, 6-3, but another big win for the Leafs, especially going into a Hutchison game. And then Hutchison getting your third star, a 4-1 win against Detroit. Uh, it was actually a close game, scoreless until near the end of the second. Then we had that weird Hyman goal to make it 1-0 after two. And then Matthews on the power play, Hyman, and then Matthews again. So Detroit did spoil the shutout. I thought Hutchison deserved it. And then and then finally, that Hurricanes win today. Uh, I don't even know where to start with that game, but let's start with with the week, I guess, prior to the Hurricanes game. What were your general thoughts from those three games? So we had the Buffalo win, the Rangers win, and finally the Red Wings win.
1: I thought the – well, I guess the, the, the Sabres win – I didn't think the Leafs were playing that good. Um, it was nice to get a win, especially after that back-to-back where the Leafs didn't really play too well and only got two out of a possible four, and, and Sabres escaped that back-to-back with three out of a possible four. So the Sabres game was okay. The Rangers one was just almost complete domination from the Leafs. They were kind of beating up on a, a pretty bad Rangers team, but I was happy with that one. The Red Wings one, I mean, I kind of touched upon it already. Um that was Michael Hutchinson's win. He was absolutely amazing. Uh, we'll talk about it later, but the Leafs just gave up a few too many breakaways, especially in the first 20 to 30 minutes of that game. So, And Hutchinson kind of stood on his head there and, and really came up big for them. And then tonight with the Hurricanes, I mean, it's kind of a tale of three separate games where you have like the beginning where the Leafs score three, and then the Hurricanes come storming back with five straight. And then obviously that third period was just... Insane. So, I mean, there's a lot of good to take. I mean, the Leafs are obviously four and zero in their last four, but there are a lot of things that, you know, need to be changed. And the Leafs have more than forty games to go, so they have lots of time to kind of figure these out. So, I mean, you can't be upset about it.
0: I will say that a week ago, I remember Matthews taking a lot of criticism, and he had a huge week. So that Buffalo game, he scored the two goals. One was just a perfect shot. The other one was he went right around. I'm trying to think of the player he went around on Buffalo now. Um, It's just a beautiful goal, one of the goals of the year. And then uh, I don't think he scored in that Rangers game, but in the Detroit game he also had two, one being on the power play. And then him and Marner today against Carolina were just, they were not going to lose this game. It was 5-3 going into the third. We saw that spinorama pass to Marner. And then we just, the two just took over the game. I mean, Marner, right after they tied it, just instantly went on a breakaway and scored. So I think it was one of the most exciting games of the year. Anytime it's 8-6. Um, I'll quickly go over this game here. It's I mean, 8-6, it might take me a while here, but Spezza scores early. And I saw post-game, let's let's mention this quick. So Keefe said post-game that he started Spetsa because his daughter's we're in the crowd. Keefe is
1: just awesome, isn't he?
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's quite the contrast to what we saw from Svetza from the first game of the year. So um, so Svetza scored a nice one from Tavares. Uh, and then Nylander, what happened was Hyman got high-sticked. Uh, it was a four-minute penalty, so they scored twice on that penalty. So Nylander got the first. They still had a power play. Uh, Tavares scored shortly after in a nice ram shot. And then... Kind of a rough, short-handed goal that let Carolina back in the game. All of a sudden, it's three-one. Uh, Muzzin kind of took a soft penalty that shouldn't have been a penalty. Carolina capitalized. Three-two going into the intermission. It felt like the momentum was in Carolina's hands, and that the Leafs kind of let their lead slip away. And then Nekis or Neckas and Halla were just possessed this game. Uh, they both scored in the second. All of a sudden, Carolina was in the lead. Uh, Shevznikov added a goal so it was five unanswered goals to make it 5-3 going into the third and then the Matthews-Marner-Hyman line and we'll have to talk about this new line they just went off so first Matthew scores on a nice pass from Hyman uh, once Carolina scored again to make it 6-4 then we saw Marner uh, he scored then he set up well Marner's goal was a beautiful pass for Matthews where just gains the zone spins around and finds Marner for the one-timer and then Marner shows great patience to find Barry Uh, and then Marner goes off on the breakaway right after they tie it and then finally Engvall gets an empty netter so kind of going into the Christmas break here I think it's a huge swing of momentum for the Leafs I think it's a five-game winning streak now they haven't lost since our last episode I mean, there's there's not too much to complain about, Nick. I think everyone can feel good about themselves going into this break.
1: Yeah, definitely. Actually, I tweeted today, and this one aged did not age very well, um, where I said, you know, it was it was kind of right in the mix where Carolina was starting to turn it on, and the Keith had his new lines, and I, I want to get into that right now. So. He had those new lines, and I tweeted, I'm all for trying new things, but I also want to win this close game against a very good Carolina team. If I were Keith, I'd go back to Matthews with Nylander and Hyman, and the Hyman-Tavares-Marner line. So as you just mentioned, we've kind of seen this new line of Hyman-Matthews-Marner, and Marner, and they were obviously absolutely amazing today. I was not a fan of the other lines. Now, I know with Tavares, in the past, you've been able to throw kind of whatever wingers with him and he's been good and I mean I don't think that line is bad per se but like for me I'm in love with the Hyman-Tavares-Marner line I think we have enough evidence that that's been very good and then Matthews and Neil Andrew, I don't really we need to talk about how good that line is so I think that's where I was coming from there but I mean after that Hyman-Matthews and Marner performance today I mean they've definitely earned a game or two more. Would you Would you agree with that?
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, so let's get into our, our mailbag questions here. Um, thanks, everyone, for submitting submitted a question. So this is actually one of the questions, so I wanted to uh, get this question in here. So first question, is it time to put Makaev or Engval with Matthews and Nylander, or is it time to permanently switch Nylander and Marner? So what I will say, and I think I agree with you here, is I don't think we can say that it's permanently time to switch Nylander and Marner, um, but I do think it's definitely time to get a look at what Matthews and Marner can do over an extended stretch. Um, I don't think it would be permanent just because we know Matthews and Nylander play really well together. We know Tavares and Marner play really well together. Um, So I'm not saying this is permanent, but it just seemed during that Carolina game that they love playing together. Uh, we saw Matthews just make a perfect pass to Marner. We saw them celebrate after their goals. Uh, just given what they've done, I think they've they've earned a longer look. Now I don't know if I'm in love with playing Tavares with Makayev and Engvall. I think maybe you put Nylander there. Um, just kind of you're just flipping Marner and Nylander at that point. But I do like having a high-end playmaker whether it's Marner or Nylander with a high-end goal scorer whether it's Matthews or Tavares um so I do agree that it should be like next game I definitely start with Hyman Matthews Marner as a line but I'd probably give Nylander to uh John Tavares what about you
1: yeah kind of adding to your point there I don't really like the Kerfoot captain Nylander line either um so I think that's where that's where I have a problem with these long combinations. Obviously, the Hyman Matthews Marner line is fantastic and they proved it tonight. They proved it last game, even though they didn't play too much. They, I think they scored like three goals in, in under five minutes of even strength time together. So I mean, they they're electric together. The thing is, I don't really like the other two lines. I, I would like to see them. and I mean, their next three games are against non-playoff teams, so there is some room to experiment there. Um, I think a line of Engval, Tavares, and Nylander would be interesting to say the least. I think they're still, I'm still kind of married to, and I guess I'm stubborn in this way, where long term I still think that their real success, especially against good teams, is having Tavares, Marner, Hyman together, and then Matthews, Nylander against the other team's
0: second and third lines. Maybe. And to answer the first part of this question here is, so the first part was, is it time to put Makayev or Engvall with Matthews and Nylander? If that was the duo, I would say yes. I think we talked about this last episode where I want a more defensively responsible winger there. I want some size there, someone that's going to get in on the forward check and, and win some battles for them. Uh, I basically want someone who's going to get them the puck. And Kasperi kapitan has been pretty invisible the last week. Uh, he did get benched along with Nylander against Detroit, um, so if that duo was together until Johnson's back, at least I would put Makai and Engvall with them. Um, but right now, I think you have to keep Hyman, Matthews, Marner together. We'll see how it goes. Like if it, if obviously they're not going to keep this up, but if they keep, if they, if they continue to be successful, I'm okay with keeping that line. I think where I would have issues with these lines is I'm not a huge fan of that third line, that Kerfoot, Kapanen, Nylander line, just because they don't really have anyone heavy on that line. They don't really have anyone to win battles. I don't really like either Kapanen or Nylander on their off wing so far. Um, And again, with Tavares, I think I want a a slightly better playmaker. I get frustrated with Mikhaev and his ability to take, or not his ability, but his bad habit of taking low danger chances. Um, and I don't like that with, with Tavares. So I'd give him either, like, we've never really seen Tavares and Nelander together, and maybe it would work. So I, I would go to that. I don't think nielander has been playing all that well the last couple games, but I am kind of curious to see what Neilander could do with Tavares.
1: I think it's a cool pairing, because I wouldn't say that Tavares is a elite puck carrier, whereas Nealander is. Um... And so Nylander could really help Tavares in that respect. And Tavares is so good at winning pucks back and his positioning is excellent. So they they could kind of mesh well. So I would be intrigued in seeing that um, kind of come through. So, I mean, and, and we're just kind of micromanaging here. The big picture here for me is Keith trying new things is fantastic for the team. You know, we're in game, whatever it is, I think, 38 or whatever so knowing that in the future if they're in a close game They can switch up the lines and they can go to Hyman Matthews and Marner and that's worked very well in in Short time like they don't need a lot of time to be together to score and we've known that we've seen that in the last two games so Trying out these new line combinations and and gathering more information just helps Keefe kind of manage his in-game adjustments going forward so big picture these line changes and these different switches are a good thing for the Leafs and they're still winning games, so that's awesome as well.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree and disagree there. I do like trying things more than Babcock did because Babcock, sometimes we saw the same lines for Babcock for like three months. and Longer
1: with, than three months, it was crazy.
0: <laughs> I know. And now with Keith, sometimes, sometimes like these games are very meaningful because of the start the Leafs got off to this season. They need every point they can get in order to get in the playoffs. Like they are no lock whatsoever at this point. Um, and you, even if you if you have a ton of confidence in the Leafs, like all it takes is like two three weeks of an Anderson injury, and and who knows where they are. Um, so, I I don't like trying things for the sake of trying things, and I don't like some of the ideas he's tried. Like I don't really like what he's done with, tried with Kapanen so far, um, but. I am like if it made sense against Detroit in the sense that you you kind of needed some life and anytime you put Matthews with Marner they seem to have a little bit extra spark like they seem to want to play together and and want to prove that they can be successful together so I think that made sense and then because they just went off uh, Keith couldn't really separate them so I I'm, I'm interested to see how it how it goes for at least a few more games uh you can't move them away from each other now after what they just did against carolina Uh, but i do think that the rest of the lines you kind of need to to shuffle a little bit Uh, i want a little bit more offense with tavares um and and if they do that i'll be pretty happy so i guess that's where i stand on that question do you have anything else to add there in terms of what you like to see with the forward line
1: no i think i think we both touched upon it i mean that they're going to keep that top line together for a little bit. And I mean, Keith just needs to find just needs to keep tinkering with those bottom three lines and
0: see what works. So I think we can move on to the next one. Okay. So next question, this one was from Ian Uh oh. who I think we're going to have on, we're going to have him on soon. Um, so, so whose style of play do you prefer between Toronto under Keith and Carolina under Brindamore? Um, I'll start For this one, I'll say what I like about Carolina is their penalty kill. They are extremely aggressive. Uh, I think the Leafs power play just moved the puck very well today. Um, So it's kind of just great hockey, but I love that penalty kill. Um, I don't know if I have any, like, I don't watch the Hurricanes enough to have any great insights on their systems. Um, With the Leafs, I. A few things I'll mention. One is I like as little low danger chances as possible. I hate shooting from the point. Sometimes Barry does it. I find Makayev does it a lot. Um, That I would like to minimize. I like having the third forward high. I think they still need to kind of work on uh, where to go from there. Like I don't want to just be shooting at the shin pads from back there. Uh, It does it is nice when you can find the defenseman jumping up. Guys like Barry, guys like Hall, can do it. Uh, but I do think that defensively they've been a little weak. Now I don't know if that's purely on the systems or if that's personnel. Uh, I've been complaining in, pers- in past episodes here that I mean when you have Barry on one pairing, CC on another, that's two thirds of your your pairings. You're going to have some some difficulties. Um, what the Leafs do have is a ton of scoring talent. We've seen that in the last week. I am kind of curious to see how this works against better competition because they have had a bit of an easy schedule. Um, The Hurricanes, on the other hand, I mean, their defense is just incredible. Uh, I think their blue line is one of the best in the league. I don't think they have the same scoring talent. Um, Other than that, I don't really have any huge insights on the Carolina system. Uh, Nick, what do you have to say for this question?
1: I'm probably in the same boat. I mean, I don't. I'm definitely not going to pretend like I'm, I'm an expert for Carolina. I do notice, and, and it's kind of adding to what you said in terms of their defense, I mean, they're they're stacked defensively. And one thing I do notice is they also like to, their defensemen like to jump up into the play in the offensive zone to keep the puck in the zone. Something similar that the Leafs have also been trying to implement as of late. Uh, I did notice today that the fours are very good at covering for them. Now, the Leafs, this is something the Leafs have tried as well, but I think the Leafs are still kind of in the learning stage when it comes to this, and we've seen this occur. And, and that goes for the Leafs defensemen as well, where we've seen a few examples of a Leafs defender jumping up in the play to keep the puck in, and then the forward either coming back to cover him but not completely committing to covering him, and it's, it's caused a few... Breakaways that have occurred since Keefe has took over, and this is something that I think is going to improve under under Keith. And I guess they're still learning. So,
0: yeah, I think with Keefe, because it's been only, I mean, it's been a little bit more than a handful of games now, but we still haven't really seen a, a big sample. And lately, it's been against easier competition, so it's a little bit tougher to judge. Uh, I will say that I have a lot of concerns defensively about this team right now. Uh, I don't know if if maybe you, you add one more defenseman to the team, if you kind of shuffle the lines. Uh, maybe you give, like, to me, I'm not a big fan, as I've said already, of that Kapanen, and Kerfoot, and Nylander line so far. Uh, I think I'm kind of in wait-and-see mode. Um, I think maybe the defense is a little bit concerning, but uh, there is going to be a question where, I mean, Randy Carlyle's strategy was kind of a collapse in the defensive zone. Uh, limit high danger chances and and they they did struggle. I think everyone knows that. so um, they have I've seen a lot of breakaways against them. I've seen a lot of mental lapses. It's tough for me to say how much of that is Keefe and how much of that is just mental lapses For me, there's been things that are kind of out of the, co- the out of the coach's control if you will, where players are just making mistakes that they should know better. Uh, so it's a bit of a tough tough evaluation there.
1: Especially in such a small sample, right? But I think that that's one thing that they can really clean up on is obviously the breakaways. The other thing is their breakouts. It's a different breakout than what they've been used to. And we've seen that they do try to make extra passes in their own zone. Now, most of the time it does work, but it's also led to a few goals, including on uh, including some goals today. Um, I think it was the fourth and fifth goal, uh, if I'm not mistaken were both due to the Leafs regaining the puck in the uh, defensive zone, making one too many passes, and then turning the puck over. And Carolina pretty much getting the puck, putting it towards the slot area where a guy's wide open in the slot and scoring a goal. So obviously the Leafs are in a position where they're looking to break out the puck, so they're not really around the middle of the ice. Maybe they have one center there, but as soon as they turn that puck over, they're not in a position to be defending so it's causing a lot of problems there that's another thing that they're learning right now it's a completely different breakout than what they were doing before with Babcock which was just have your wingers fly high get the puck into the neutral zone as soon as possible and try and win a puck battle there so again it's something that we're just going to have to wait and see but in the grand scheme of things it is it is causing the Leafs to be in the offensive zone more often. So they just need to kind of clean it up a little bit uh, going forward.
0: Yeah, I would say clean it up a lot of bit. Um, I thought Hall had a bit of a weak second. He had a really bad giveaway. Yeah, he, he was kind of due for a bad period. He's been playing very well. Um, I thought, I mean, Nylander was a little bit weak today. Um, but what frustrated me with this game, I mean, the second period was one thing where they kind of give up three goals in a minute. That's always frustrating. But for me... They're up three nothing. They have a power play with like seven minutes left in the first. Like I just want to get out of that period up three nothing, and to give up a shorthanded goal there is, is tough to say the least. You kind of let them back in it, gave them all the momentum. Um, all of a sudden it's three two after one. So I thought, like, I I th- think that's a mistake that can be avoided. Uh, I do think that this team is making a little bit too many mistakes, a little bit too many breakaways given up where. They don't really have the focus at all time or the attention to detail. Um, I do have a good question here. So we asked for mailbag questions before the Carolina game, uh, telling people that we'd be recording after the game. Uh, this is a good question here. So after being shut out by James Reimer today, is it time to shuffle the lines again? Uh, do you think that question was pretty good or a little bit off?
1: Well, Reimer did he, did. he didn't allow any goals in the second and third period. So He was good then. He was very good. Like... It was, it's it's almost good sometimes if you don't notice a goalie, and I did not notice Reimer
0: at all in the second and third. I know game. he looked different after like the first five minutes. He kind of looked like Mrazek.
1: He looked a lot more calm. I think his heart rate went down a lot. Um, yeah, he did look a lot like Mrazek.
0: <laughs> trying to see, he did have one. No, wait. he had. F- so he had f- three goals allowed and four saves. So tough matchup against his former team well
1: he's just he's still a leaf fan at at heart i think so
0: i think so i think he's he's trying to help the the leafs there yeah so let's go on let's go on to the next question here so why is kyle dubas unwilling to trade Cody cc for literally anything at all um so he's saying like why won't he trade him for cc and a fourth for example for literally nothing uh, any theories on that? Nick,
1: I think this one's right in our wheelhouse. That is the question. That is the question of the podcast. I feel every week. Um, I think that's again kind of the trade that everyone is hoping for. Uh, CC's minutes have obviously gone down and his role has gone down since Keith has come in. Um, so, I mean, whether that means they're going to trade him, who knows? He, does that take a hit on his value? Also, something that you know is, is tough to say. Um, so I think it's something that if if you can turn CC into another defenseman that could potentially get into the top four, that would be, the Leafs would be set. And, you know, you could use that, the money, the 3.5 mil that he, he's being paid right now for something else. So, um, it's tough. And that was a really funny post now that I'm reading it. I'm talking CC and a fourth for a $10 Tim's card and a third liner from the Wichita Whalers. I don't know, can the Leafs can the Leafs fit in a ten dollar Tim's card into their cap system right now? That's
0: a lot. Like you can get more than you think with a ten dollar <laughs> Tim's card. Like I don't know how many timbits that is, but that's gotta be like a good hundred timbits at least, right?
1: That may be more valuable than the McKay of contract, arguably.
0: Yeah. I think Dermot with a ten with a ten pack of Timbits would be a pretty good pair.
1: And Marner. <laughs> they need more sugar.
0: Yeah, and Marner. Marner Marner would have good chemistry. Uh, I'll say with, like, I think we've said this, as you mentioned, on, on most episodes now, where if you could give Dubis truth serum or if you give that front office truth serum and you say, what do you what do you really think of Cody Cece? Um, that's kind of the million-dollar question here. Uh, they did trade for him, but they got out of the Zaitsev deal in the process. So it was a bit of a throw-in. Uh, I do think that you you could move him for nothing. I I do believe that. Um, I I do think he's been playing better as of late. Uh, I do like having a stay-at-home type who can penalty kill and has some size, and uh, he plays the right side. So I do like having that on this team. I think it's a good fit. Um, But his cap hit is too high. I do think that he'd be easily replaceable, uh, like by someone like Lilligren, even though Lilligren probably isn't as good on the penalty kill at this point. Uh, he would be a significant upgrade at five on five. Uh, it would also give you the cap space to maybe go out and get a backup goalie, or maybe go out and get another back, uh, another defenseman. Uh, so I think the answer that we both have to this question is we have no idea why dubis won't trade cc Uh, i'm interested to see if he makes a move at the deadline or if this is like i hope my my biggest fear is that we re-sign cc so uh let's hope that it's either a trade or at least at the very least that they let him walk after the season in my
1: mind there's Maybe it's just the hope in me, but there's no way they re-signed Cody Cc. I just, I would be pretty upset <laughs> about that. I mean, I, 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 I'm I, not sure if he's playing better, uh, to be honest. I think he's just less noticeable, and it's a lot nicer to that he's in the bottom two usually in terms of ice time. I think, I think the only time he's been in the top four of ice time was in the, um, might have been the Rangers game or the Detroit game when they kind of were resting Muzzin, it seems, and and resting their top guys. So I, I'm okay with CC playing those minutes right now. But again, like you said, him on the third pairing and, and just kind of re- almost reinforces the fact that that contract is too big. Um, it's too much right now. So especially if, for a guy on the third pairing and they could use that money somewhere else.
0: Yeah, he's, he's paired with a good puck mover in Dermot, a guy that can kind of excel in the transition game. I don't think dermot has been great as of late, but uh, I do... Obviously, when you have CC playing less minutes at 5-on-5 five five, uh, and he's not playing against top-line players anymore, uh, he's going to look better. So I, I do think we've taken a step forward in that regard. Uh, I don't know if we get to the point where he's traded or if he's ever scratched. I do think he's played better, in my opinion, as of late, uh, largely because he wasn't very good previous to that. Um, so let's get so the next question is also about a right shooting defenseman. So I think we, we've talked about Justin Hall a lot and how well he's played this year. Uh, so the question is, why the obvious talent misevaluation regarding Hall? I'm going to start by saying it probably has something to do with their most with their last head coach. I don't think he liked Hall um I don't know he didn't really give him a a a chance I think he's a little bit stubborn in that sense where he doesn't rotate his players so we never really got to see um I didn't think Hall played all that well last year I think part of that was when he did get in the lineup he was so rusty and and it's tough to gain confidence when you when you're you feel like if you make one mistake you're not going to be in the lineup for another two months so uh I'm gonna place most of the blame on Babcock here. I know Dubis in the past, like years ago, called Hall one of the most underrated players in the organization. I know Keefe used Hall in a shutdown pairing when they won the Calder. Um, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I think you can put most of the blame on Babcock. Uh, I do like having. I can't believe that Hall makes under seven hundred thousand. Nick, what do you have to say? Why the big talent misevaluation with Justin Hall?
1: I'll take a similar approach, but also a little bit different. I think with Hall I think with Babcock he he was just scared to try out new things, especially Marley's it felt, and the ones that he did try out, there were he was kinda late to the late to the party with then Kapanen comes to mind, Janssen comes to mind. Um, so I think with Hall he was in, in Babcock's mind he was a fringe NHLer and Babcock was a lot more comfortable playing guys like Zaitsev and Hainsey and Polak in those in those right-handed slots and, and never really gave Hall a chance. So I'll I'll just say that it was more due to the fact that he just never gave him a chance rather than a guy that he saw that might be good. Um and, and just thinking he's not good. I just don't think he really trusted the sample that he saw, whether that be at practice or in the AHL. Um, in terms of the gap of the player that we see now and the player of last year, I think a lot of it also has to do with Hall just seems very comfortable in Keefe's system. Uh, we see him sliding up the boards, something that's almost starting to, to become known in, in Keefe's Leaf system. Um, we see how jumping up in the boards uh, in the offensive zone, creating chances. Um, in his own end, he's, he's starting breakouts, he's jumping up in the play. So he fits this system so well that I think that's what's almost made that gap a lot bigger. And, and now we're at the point where it's almost unbelievable that he was a healthy scratch last year. He's been that good under Sheldon Keith.
0: Yeah, so to add on to your your Babcock point, I'll say that he decides who his best players are early, and then once he's kind of decided, it's very hard to change his mind. So, like, let's take a player like Kenny Agostino. If Agostino played very well in the preseason and got into the lineup with Babcock, like, I could see a scenario where he would have played 70 games this year or 80 games this year, whereas if you get off to a, on, on the wrong foot with Babcock and you don't impress him early, uh, you could barely ever see the lineup. Like, Babcock, more than any other coach I know, will play players, you know, 10 games a year, seven games a year. Like, Justin Hall sitting in the press box 71 games last year. And then, I mean, you just kind of completely blow the player's confidence. Um, and, like, even with Levo, like we, you didn't really get a good look at what Levo could do. Um, it's completely inexcusable in, in kind of in hindsight where the other options were Zaitsev and, and gone off. Um So, I mean, I think Babcock's taken his fair a fair share of criticism for that. I do think that this is one thing that Dubis deserves some credit for where I think last year a lot of people were saying, you know, why don't you just put Hall on waivers? Why don't you just lose them? Like, who cares? Uh, at this point, like, hall is just so valuable to to the team right now where i think he might be their best right shooting defenseman i'm gonna
1: pump the brakes for my own opinion on that i still think tyson barry is very good offensively um and his skill set in itself is such it's so special that i'm not ready And, and i'm i like to think of myself as one of justin hall's biggest fans i love the way he plays i said that he was the he was the defenseman that the Leafs have been looking for for years. A cheap, right-handed defenseman who can be reliable against the other team's top lines, um, can penalty kill. So I'm not ready just yet to say that, but I mean, the way he's playing, I might be on board within the next two to three months. But, but Tyson Barry, for me, that skill set, still so important, and I think we still have a lot more to see with Tyson Barry.
0: The thing I'll say about Barry that's frustrating me is one is he's taking he takes a lot of low danger chances where it feels like if the puck's going on the net when Barry's on the ice it feels like he's either getting a point or they're not scoring like it doesn't feel like he's on the ice for many goals where he leads to the goal but he doesn't get a point the other thing I'll say is I do think he's giving up a lot defensively, whether it's just losing battles, whether it's just bad positioning, whether it's just being a little bit too aggressive for the sake of offense. Um, my, I don't know either who's the better defenseman right now. I think it's that close. I will say with Barry to his defense is it feels like him and Riley should be in the exact same role, um, where if, if there was just one of them, like say Riley wasn't on this team, it seems like Barry would be in a better position to succeed. They should both be on a top power play unit. They should both be not in a shutdown role, ideally. And they should both be paired kind of in a second pairing role, getting lots of minutes with a defensively responsible partner. That's the role I'd put them both in. Now, the Leafs don't really have the the perfect uh, pairing for for either of them. They're kind of together right now. Um, I don't know if if either is in the, the perfect position to succeed, but... Uh, maybe it's just a slow start for Barry. He was was pretty dreadful to start the year. I think he kind of had a rough stretch recently. I did think he scored a huge goal in today's game. Um, The other thing I'll say about Hall is I don't think it's just Keith's system because he was so good under Babcock. And this kind of ties into our next question here. So uh, The the question was, what contracts have Engvall, Hall, and Makai have earned? Because we're talking about Hall, why don't we start with Hall? So, He's going to be an unrestricted free agent after this year uh, i would like to extend him as soon as possible i know how difficult it is to acquire good right shooting defensemen. nick what kind of contract do you think hall has earned at this point
1: well i think the longer that this goes the higher it's going to get so with defensemen for the most part they get paid for two things the amount of minutes that they get played and usually their points so with muzzin sorry with muzzin with hall um, he's been getting played quite a bit, especially, you know, in the last 10 games or so. So, and then he's not a huge point producer. Um, and then also we have to take in consideration his last contract and his age. So I will go with 2 million for now. I had it a lot lower before and even a month ago as I had it, I think, at a one, around 1 mil to 1.5. So I'll have it around 2, 2.2 is what he's at right now for me. That's something that might increase a little bit throughout the year, depending on... And it seems like the Leafs are going to play him a lot for the rest of the season. Um, And then, you know, I'll be on the optimistic side. Hopefully they can sign him for about two years. So I'll go... Let's say 2.2
0: for two years. Uh, I think he's going to get more than 4.4 guaranteed. So I would say longer term... um, the player i'd compare him to from last year would be nick jensen uh who was on detroit at the time right shooting defenseman killed penalties was playing big minutes for detroit and then he ended up getting traded for washington now this is a player that i wanted for the leafs uh, he has a bit of size again kills penalties so he got 2.5 for 4 million uh if hall wanted that today i'd probably give it to him which would be ten million guaranteed.
1: Sorry, so two point five for four years.
0: Yeah, okay. I won't be surprised if he tops that. Like he's playing in a huge market. Uh, he's playing on the top pairing. If he continues playing with Muzzin, I think it's gonna be closer to three at this point. Um, I don't know. Like I think I said this last episode. I do think Muzzin is the main shutdown guy there, and Hall is probably more the offensive guy on that pairing. Uh, but. I've seen enough where I'm definitely more interested in re-signing Hall than I am Tyson Berry, uh, just when you do kind of a, a cost-benefit analysis.
1: Oh, definitely, especially, I mean, Berry might be, especially, you know, on the open market, he could be demanding up, he could be, did, be demanding a lot. So with Hall, you're definitely getting more bang for your buck. Um, I still think he's, you know, I, I'm hoping that he's closer to 2.5 and under that right now but again i mean that's something that might keep climbing throughout the throughout the year as as it goes on and we see his usage kind of grow
0: yeah i think we're all hoping that it's lower it's just like if you're his agent right now and he's gonna be he's not a restricted free agent he's completely unrestricted i think he's gonna get a pretty good offer somewhere where you might see him even more than three million so if it if if the cost was three million right now, I think I'm strongly considering that, uh, just because I think Leafs fans know as well as anyone how difficult it is to get right cheating defensemen. Uh, he's only I think he's 27. Yeah, 27. He's
1: 27. Yeah, that that's a big reason why I wouldn't give him four years. But I mean, again, you, you said he is a UFA, so it might be a, get a little dicey. But I'm I'm personally hoping that that Marley's connection with Dubis might help him out.
0: But you know. I'm the optimist here. The other two in this question were Engvall and Makayev, So believe both are restricted free agents. Um, so you could start with either player. Uh, which, how much do you think they'll ne- their next contract will be? Again, that their RFA is not you. Sorry, who are the two players? Makaev and Engvall.
1: Oof, I'll let you go with Makaev first. But Engvall, I mean, we'll see what happens when the team gets completely healthy. I still think he's a player that might get sent down just because of the cap hit, Um, unless they carry, I think it's if they carry 20 players or something like that. Uh, I don't know that for sure. I could see Engvall potentially signing for something similar to what Trevor Moore did last year, where he gets a low term and something that's quite manageable for the Leafs, and that way he can actually play next year. Um, comfortably in the lineup. I mean, obviously they're going to be up against the cap next year as well. Uh, Makeyev, I'm going to let you go first on that one because that is the one that is is tough to to manage. I mean, he's I think he's just surpassing everyone's expectations, and his five on five production is has blown me out of the water personally.
0: Uh, okay, so let's start with Engvall. I think as you mentioned, if Engvall gets sent down, that's going to lower his price quite significantly. Uh, he's not going to have a huge track record going into his RFA year. It's not like Kaepernick where he's got multiple years. Um, he's only going to have one, not even a full season of a track record. So, like, I can't see him. Even if he's even, even on the team the rest of the year, I don't think he's going to get into that $2 million range. I think the Leafs are going to try to avoid paying players uh, in that, let's say, $1.2 to $3 million range. Uh, I think you either want them to be as good as someone like Kerfoot or Kapanen, where there's a big difference between that player and a replacement level player or if, if they're gonna make like 1.7, 1.8, at that point, I think they're going be there they might be trade chips where you move them and then you kind of you find players who will do it for less. So whether it's someone like Mason Marchmont, uh, where you can save a million dollars towards the cap, I think that's something the Leafs are going to continue to do. Um, so for Engvall I think he'll be close to a million like I'll be surprised if he's over 1.5 um, maybe if he, if he continues playing very well maybe he gets over that but I don't think he's gonna have the track record so I'll, I'll go under 1.5 I think it'll be like maybe give him a, a raise to one um, but it's gonna be really dependent on how many games he actually gets into down the stretch and like if he's playing with Tavares, his his point totals might rise, which kind of drives up the price. So, uh, I, I'll I'll take. Well, if he's at if he's
1: at one point two, do you think he plays next year? Like, do you think they could fit him into that that team? Obviously, you know, given the defense, it's so tough to predict. But I just can't see him
0: a fourth liner. I think he's way like I think he's way more likely to get traded if he's if he gets into that one point five range. Right. Um. And way more likely to be a Leaf if he's under a million or, or very close. Right. So, yeah,
1: I'll, I'll take that road. I think he's going to be under a mil. I think he wants to play for this team. And he's he's. I think he is a guy that could bet on himself, similar to what
0: Trevor Moore did. Okay, so Mikhaev, I feel like we're going to have a disagreement here. Um, I see him as comparable to Engvall. Interesting. I think because... I don't see a huge gap between the two players. I think they're both pretty good on the penalty kill. I give the edge to Engvall there. Um, I get that... I get that Engvall... Makayev has better point production right now, but I don't buy that long-term that he's going to be this type of scorer. So uh, He does have a lot of empty net goals. I think he's more of, again, similar to Engvall. If he gets in that... like If he's over let's say, two and a bit, even. Like even at the $2 million range. I'm looking to trade him, because the Marlies have uh, players, whether really, it's like even someone like Agostino. Um, I'm okay with that. I don't think really... Some people are really high on Mikhail right now. I'm not there yet. I know he has 21 points in, in 37 games. Um, a few of those being anti-netters, but I think I'd give him a little bit of an edge over Engvall, but I will be curious to see his trade value if his if he's looking for like a, a two and a half plus million dollar contract, I'm looking at his trade value.
1: Yeah, I'll agree with that point. Um, I have him around two, two point two. I think there's a pretty big difference between him and Fall. Again, this is it's it's tough to kind of compare those two just because based on their track records. But with Mikhaev, it is just it's just that I mean, we just don't really know what type of player he is because he came from the KHL. So I am not as... Is is this the type of point production that I trust? I'm not really sure because, I mean, to start, he's spent a lot of time with Kerfoot and Kapanen on that third line. I, would, I think he's a guy that I wouldn't be afraid to put him up on a line with Matthews and Nylander. And... I think that he potentially could work out with them and if you can sign a guy for two mil that can go up and provide um, some physicality on that top line a guy that can win a bunch of pucks and you know he is he he's a decent finisher he he does shoot too much from the point and something that you've touched upon quite a bit but I think that's something that is pretty easily changed just through a little bit of coaching tactics and and some instructions so. With Mikhaev, I think that the mystery is there, and I definitely think there's a difference between him and Engval, uh, just based on what I've seen from Angval and And I'm pretty high on him, but I think the, I think the skill set of Mikhaev and the level that he plays at is a little bit higher than Engval for sure.
0: Well, in terms of skating, I probably give the edge to Engval. In terms of shot, I'd give the edge. You to give that Engvall. to Engval? Yeah, Engval can fly.
1: I think Engvall is probably the smoother-looking skater for sure, but but I think Mikhaev's probably quicker and a lot faster when he's at top speed.
0: But yeah, Mikhaev's a good skater too. Um, In terms of transition play, I think it's pretty close. Engvall can can transition the puck well. Uh, Finishing ability, I think it's probably Engvall. It's pretty close, but Engvall's got a great shot. Uh, Playmaking, Engvall's a bit weak, but I think Mikhaev's a bit weak there too. Uh, they're both pretty good in battles. I am fine with Engvall and with Matthews and, and Nylander too. So, um, like for me with with any of these players, it's I love watching them. Uh, I, I love what they bring to the table for for this current Leafs team. But if their price tags are going up, I think you're now getting into the conversation where like someone like Makiyev, if he's gonna make like let's say over two point two, uh, now you gotta consider like who do you trade? Do you trade? Do you trade Hyman? Do you trade Jonsson? And if I have to pick between those players, unless you're getting a great deal on like one year of Hyman, um, I'm going to, I'm going to trade McHive. I think Hyman's the better player right now. Um, I think like I, I'm open to trading one of them. I could be open to seeing what Jonsson's worth or, or Kapanen's worth um, if you get a great deal, but i uh, I mean, we, the the nice part about this is it's only been, you know, 30, about 30 games, and we still have the rest of the season to kind of evaluate. So, I mean, if Mikhaev ends up with, like, you could end up with, like, I don't know, like, let's say he gets 60 points. Now I'm in kind of in a different mindset. But so far, I'm still taking the approach where it's, I'm, I'm either, I guess it's more of a wait-and-see approach for me, but from right now, I'm, I'm, I'm around, let's say, 2 million. For uh, Mikheyev. For Makayev. I think that's where right. he ends up. Um, but again, I'm looking, I'm be looking at his trade value. I'm not as high on him as, as some of the other people I see on Twitter, but uh, mm. I do like what he's he's brought to the table. So um, again,
1: okay, that actually turned turned differently than I thought. So so I'm around the same. I'm also around two two point two mil for Makayev, but I keep him at that. Um, I think he's a guy that can jump up into the lineup, and he's a pretty good third liner in my opinion. And get penalty kill. I do
0: think, I do think they have so many options though. Where you look at the like guys from the Marlies, and you say, okay, like I think Kimeshaw has played well of late. Uh, I think Batan could play in an NHL position in some capacity. I think Agostino could. I think Bracco, like give him a year, or maybe maybe you put him on a fourth line role. Uh, Adam Brooks is someone, uh, obviously, like they're calling everyone up right now, but not playing them. But I think Brooks could play, uh, especially on the wing. Um, not something he does with the Marlies, but I, and we've, we've mentioned Marchman in the past, or at least I have, where I think he could uh, provide something that, that the team could certainly use. We've seen Aberg. Um, so for me, like I don't know if he's got a huge edge on those players yet. If he can prove that he does, and he's a real difference maker over those guys, I'm more open to paying the extra million, million and a half. But right now, I think he's more of a, a small upgrade over them, if that makes sense, uh, rather than a rather than a major one. So it is a bit of a wait and see on that one. Um, we do get that luxury, and it's nice that the season's not over today, because if it was over today, I'd have a little bit of a tough time with Micaiah, where I think I'd be kind of re-watching a ton of games, trying to figure out what the heck he is.
1: I think we got to give a shout-out to Engval. I mean, if I think if you and I talked to each other, like ourselves, a month ago, that we would be even having this conversation that Engval might, came up to the NHL and, and made the impact that he that he has and is kind of being talked about as being as good as Mikhaev. And I'm not saying Mikhaev is, you know, some sort of god, but it's it's nice to have a guy that plays well with the Marlies, and, you know, we've seen that, and then bringing him up and he plays well with the NHL. Um, so, uh, you know, I think it's nice with Engvall.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is kind of what I expected after like, his Marley's run this season, but, like, a couple of years ago, I was not high on Engvall. Um, I think he, he kind of proved that he could play center down there. Um, he's never been a great scorer, like a great passer or a playmaker. Uh, he's always kind of had a good shot, but it's he doesn't really make a ton of offense out there or, or generate a lot of scoring chances for his teammates, but he does... He's always like you knew he was going to be able to skate well. You knew he'd have he'd have size at the NHL level and be able to win some battles and be responsible. And uh, I think fortunately for Engvall, we' a reason that he really stands out is that the Leafs are a team that could really use his skill set. Where he's that defensively responsible guy that has some size that still can transition the puck and can still score. So I think he's just been a great fit, and I think he's been great on the penalty kill. Um, let's get into our next question here. Uh, Actually, it's it's still about Engvall, so I guess we're not transitioning too much. Um, So what's Engvall's ceiling, in your opinion, and does he make one of Kappen and Janssen expendable? So I'll say his ceiling, again, I don't think he's ever going to be a a great playmaker by any means, but I look at someone like Hyman as the perfect role model, so I'll put put Hyman as kind of the, the ceiling, where... or or maybe Hyman with a little bit more finishing ability. I think Hyman's kind of been the perfect player who's kind of started out with the Marlies, not been a huge scorer on the Marlies, but his size, his his ability to win battles, his speed, um, he's kind of been the perfect complement to the Leafs' skilled players, like Matthews Marner, um, like we saw today, where he's just in there winning battles, he's bringing a little bit of a defensive responsibility there, he's out on the penalty kill... Um, he chips in some, some goals from time to time. I think that's kind of where his ceiling lies. In terms of making Kapanen and Janssen expendable, I guess a little bit more. Like, I would say he helps to make them more expendable. Uh, I do think Kapanen is the better player, even though he's not really playing like it as of late. Um, but I, again, I'm I'm definitely interested in finding out what type of value Kapanen and Janssen have around the league, because if you could get a, a great defenseman I think we're all kind of interested in that so uh, I do think the Leafs are going to be in a position this off season to shop a winger um, just because of the depth they have and whether it's Kapanen whether it's Janssen whether it's Mikhaev, um I do think that having all these wingers is going to make someone more expendable uh, but I don't necessarily know if it will be Kapanen and Janssen for sure
1: yeah it definitely gives them some nice options going forward I think with Engvall, it's, it's very difficult when the players, with fringe players like this that are around, he's, he's now 23. So in terms of how much he's going to improve as a player at the age of 23, probably not as much, not as much as, you know, if we're talking about a guy that's 20 at this level, at the NHL net level, who just came up. So with Engvall, I think a lot of it depends on his usage. Now I'm glad that you brought up Hyman. Hyman to me is a player that, when he first came up to the NHL, and he right away was put into that top six role next to, to Matthews and Nylander, and he thrived in it. He's also a player that, at the time, the Leafs had um, they had Josh Levo, they had Leipzig. I had Brendan Leipzig making the team over Zach Hyman. I and that's a mistake I made. But I think Hyman's a guy that potentially could have been a fourth or third line guy for all these years and there would be a group of people that would say yeah I think that's where he belongs so with Engval, he's a guy that I think could stay in a third or fourth line for the next couple of years and we might say that's the type of player he is or he might be a guy that you know Keefe kind of takes a chance on him and potentially next year if, if a spot opens up or, or maybe even this year puts him with Tavares or or Matthews long term and he turns into a player that like Hyman is very very successful in that role so when it comes to the ceiling I think his usage matters a lot
0: I think we kind of read into too much about usage and points when it comes to the ceiling like I think for kind of perception of a player that's going to really matter but in terms of just his pure ability like like, Hyman's been outstanding. His ability to drive play, like, you look at, at numbers like RAPM or, like, ex, any expected goal metric, really. Like, Hyman is a star in terms of those. And he's kind of the, like, the Leafs need those power forwards. Like, they do have quite a bit of transition skill, um, especially between their center right wing duos, uh, where you kind of want these, these complements like Hyman. And I do think that Engvall's has the characteristics to be maybe a one of those good compliments down the line. Now, what his reputation is in, in say three years, as you said, I think it's going to be heavily on, on how many points he gets and who he's playing with and what his usage is. Um, so I agree with you there, but what do you think in terms of making, does it make Janssen and Kapanen expendable or more expendable, at least what's your thoughts on that?
1: For me, that is, and I know you kind of touched upon it already, that is very heavy on the packages or the trades that the, um, the Leafs get in return for Kapanen or Janssen. I think that drives that a lot more. They have a number of guys that, you know, potentially could jump up into the top six. Like, do I think Engvall would be better than Janssen next to Matthews and Nylander today? Definitely not. I think Janssen's excellent. I think Kapanen's a very good player. I think they're a step ahead of the Engvall, the Timoshovs, even McKeever. So, in terms of like, like, does it make them expendable. It makes them more comfortable in making a trade that would entice them, if that makes sense.
0: I will say that, like, it's so difficult to predict the lines now that we don't know if it's like Matthews Marner or Matthews Nylander. Um, I wouldn't mind like if we if they end up going back to the old lines. I wouldn't mind going, like, Mikhaev or, or Engvall with Matthews Nylander and then giving Janssen to Kerfoot. Like, if we can get that third line a little bit more offense, just because I'm not I'm not too sure what that third line ends up with. It's just, I mean, it's so hard to predict right now, just given uh, the lines just changed. And, I mean, the old lines are having quite a bit of success too. So it seems like there's at least a lot of different options for Keefe and a lot of different things that he can work with. Um One question here was, and I guess it's kind of a complaint with Keefe, I'm not sure the level I agree with it, but it's why is Barry still on the top power play unit? Uh, To me, it's because it's working right now. I think at first I thought the goals were going in, but they weren't really deserving them, and now I think that they're just moving the puck very well. I think today against Carolina they had terrific movement on the power play. Uh, Barry has a long track record of success on the power play. I don't really have a huge preference over whether it's Riley or whether it's Barry. Um, I don't really have any uh, complaints with Barry on the top power play unit. Nick, what do you think?
1: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, to me, Riley and Barry, they're both very, very good on the power play. I don't really see a big difference between them either. One thing with Riley, and this is very well documented, especially on Leafs Twitter, i can't stand when he throws the puck on net um and you have Tavares, Nealander matthews marner also on the ice and you know if that results in a a, a weak riley rister from the the point so just for that reason alone i have liked tyson berry on that top power play um so but again not a huge difference both very good on the power play um both very good at creating space for the 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 wingers that they're playing with whether that's giving the puck to, to Matthews on one side or Marner on the other so to me again not a big deal uh for for me uh if Barry's on the top power play at the end of the day it's it's Marner it's Matthews it's Tavares and Neilander that are kind of stirring that drink so
0: yeah I don't have much more to add to that um I do like our this last question here though so Uh, In terms of having your cake and eating it too, even if the Leafs are playoff locks by the deadline, would you trade Tyson Berry? Or do you trade one of the young wingers for defense help? Or neither? Do you just keep the team what it is? Nick, do you want to start with that one or do you want me to start? I can start. I think,
1: again, uh, kind of reiterating what I said earlier, the dream is trading Cody CeCe in some regard. I'd say Cody CeCe plus... Now, combining with this question, uh, one of the one young wingers in some sort of a package for a defenseman. I think that's your dream uh, scenario. When it comes to trading Barry, I think I'm not a fan of trading Barry. I think that, yes, he hasn't been as good as a lot of people expected. And people came in this year, including myself, with very high expectations of Tyson Barry. The Leafs traded a really good player in Nazem Kadri for him, um, as well as Callie Rosen. So, you know, we expected the Tyson Barry that we've seen for a few years. Now, it hasn't really panned out at the beginning of the season. I think he's been a lot better with Sheldon Keefe. Uh, we see that offensive kind of flair that we expected. In his own end, is he perfect? Definitely not. Is he good? Probably not. But I'm still willing to wait it out. Um, and I think trading him at the deadline is just giving up on that too early having Barry as a right-handed defenseman for the Leafs in the playoffs I think is really important um, and I still think that come playoff time if you can find a defenseman to go into that top six and run Riley with that mystery defenseman Muzzin Hall and then Dermot and Barry in a sheltered role the Leafs look very, very good. So I think that's where I stand on that.
0: Okay, so I'll say I agree with your first point, which is the dream is still to trade Cody CC. I think, and and to get a good, or at least a pretty good defenseman in return. Um, whether it's someone like Chris Tanev, like, you're not going to get them one for one, but if you could just offload CC and then maybe you go out and get someone like Tanev, maybe you get someone. I think the ideal situation would be to get someone with a little bit of term, um, but that's obviously a little bit harder, so uh, if you could somehow get out of that CC deal and get someone else, that's the dream. Uh, in terms of, and I'll answer the second part of this question, do you trade one of the young wingers for defensive help? I think everyone's open to it, the um, problem is is that Janssen and Kappen are both pretty good players, they're under control. Uh, I don't think you want to trade either for a rental at this point. Uh, if you get a controllable defenseman, I, like why not? If, if if the player is good enough, so uh, for me that's kind of a tough question to answer. Where it's it's kind of the obvious one and and probably not a very exciting one uh, for those listening. But in terms of trading Barry, I'm certainly more open to it. Um, we had this I think it was a very similar conversation a couple of years ago where. James Van Riemsdyk was a pending free agent, and at the time, I was open to trading James Van Riemsdyk for the right package. Now, the Leafs didn't make the deal, and the a lot of the people that argued against it were saying, you know, like you can't do this every year, or you're always just going to be hurting your team's chances. And for me, that's a bit of the slippery slope fallacy, where you just you do it once, and then the argument against it is like you can't do it every year. Well. I'm not saying to do it every year. I'm just saying to do it once. Um, With Barry, I will say that I do think he is a little bit overrated in the sense that uh, defensemen that put up points get a little bit more praise than they deserve. I do think he gives up a lot of goals. Like, I do think he's instant offense on both ends of the ice at times. Uh, I do think that he is a little bit overrated, uh, that he would command a pretty good return. Um, So whether it's... I guess the other thing too is I like Lilligren's play and I don't think there's... I do think Barry's better than Lilligren right now, but I don't think there's a massive gap. Um, Whereas I think in terms of trade value, like you get a lot for Barry. So I do think it's tough because I do want to contend this year. I want to put the best roster forward. Um, I'm a little bit more open to it depending on the package, but because the Leafs are contenders... Uh, or at least playoff contenders. I I do think you'd have to get an overpay in order to do it, or or at least a pretty damn good offer. Uh, One thing I'd be interested in is if if you moved Barry, and then you go out and you use that first-round pick to get a different rental. Like, you got someone like Chris Kreider, who I'm a huge fan of. Or if you use that pick to get someone, I don't know, like Petrangelo. Like, now that makes sense to me. Um... But it is going to be a very tricky move to make because you don't want to hurt the team's chances. Um, so I think it would have to be a pretty a pretty damn good offer um, in order to do it. But I think I'm probably a little bit more open to it than, than you.
1: Yeah, I mean, when it comes to the JVR thing, I think it's a little bit of a different situation. And obviously this happened a few years ago. But to my understanding, when JVR was being traded well, it was in those trade talks. It was for future assets, which is something I don't think the Leafs can do this year just because it is... I mean, Matthews and Marner are a little bit older and they, they got Tavares now, so this is a very important contending year. Um, I, I just couldn't see them trading him especially for something that doesn't help them right away, even if it's a first-round pick that they're planning on uh, flipping. I mean, if you get a first-round pick and then... You need to make sure that that second deal is in place cuz if it's not Well you're
0: going to get someone.
1: And yeah, I mean, you don't want to lose that second trade though. Or else then all of a sudden you're you're kind of in trouble. You've just kind of hurt your team's chances of of winning that year. So, yeah. I mean, it's tricky. Yeah, I just for me it's the chances of him getting traded are pretty low. And I think that you're kind of giving up a little bit too early if you trade him at the deadline. Um, especially given the Leafs and, and I am high on Lilligren. I don't think as high as saying that he's close to Barry, but I, I'm not really confident. Like even if Lilligren comes up, you're looking at Lilligren, CC and Hall as your right defenseman. So unless you get a right-handed defenseman back from Barry, I don't think it looks any better in my opinion.
0: No, I don't think it looks any better, but I, I, I'm a little bit lower on Barry than most people are right now, so um, I don't think it's it would completely kill the team where, like, if you traded Muzzin right now, like, if, if this question was, like, would you trade Muzzin in order, and, and still go for it, I would say no. Like, I, there's no way I'm trading Muzzin right now.
1: Yeah, that's a short conversation, yeah.
0: So I think Barry, I'm at least listening to offers, and whether it's, like it's a tough move to make as i said but like if you got someone like i don't know someone i like is philip myers or like you're not going to get dante Fabro, um but if you could get like a young defenseman who's ready right now um maybe not someone of that caliber but someone who's kind of a little bit underrated um and is controllable like that would make sense to me um if you could get a first round pick that you flip for a very good rental um that would make sense to me, but it's such a tricky move that, again, I think we both agree that we don't expect it to happen. Um, yes. Yeah. So, so we're about an hour 10 into this, so let's let's hit a couple last notes here, Nick. So the one thing that we normally do is we preview the the, the week and we say how many points would we need to be happy. So last week, I think we can be thrilled. Uh, they, won, they won all three games to go six points and then because we recorded a little bit late they actually won a fourth game to go to eight points Um, so next week is a bit of a christmas break here and then they go at the devils on friday they're home against the rangers on saturday Uh, the rangers actually play friday as well so they have a back-to-back as well and then i'll add the tuesday one in here um, just to make it three games. So it's at Minnesota on Tuesday. So we're probably going to get Hutchison for one. Uh, three easier opponents, I would say. How many points do you need to be happy with these three uh, To be
1: happy, four. But I'm going to say this Leafs team is on such a roll right now. Um, they're not really out-shooting teams that much, uh, especially in this run. But I think they're playing well enough, and, and the opponents are all non-playoff teams. So, you know... To be happy, I'll say four, but I wouldn't be surprised if they get six. Let's say that.
0: Okay. Yeah, I don't think, like, with these opponents, you can't be shocked if they get six, but I'd take four at this point. I mean, they're on a roll. I just want to keep it going. Um, So, yeah, I'll agree with you on four. They're going to have to lose at some point. Uh, But I do think I'm kind of interested to see what, what, I'll ask you, what game would you play Hutch? So would you play him on the road against New Jersey on Friday, or would you play him at home against the Rangers?
1: Uh, I'd give him against the Rangers at home. I think the, the second one of the back-to-back is probably probably okay with me in this case. Um, but I think he is going to get the Friday one, if I'm not mistaken. I think I read somewhere that usually, historically, the back the backup gets that first game back from Christmas, which, I mean, I'm not too strong about this one. That's fine with me. Uh, I think Hodge played well enough last game that I'm okay with with him in either one, um, just to keep the momentum going with him.
0: Yeah, I would go I would actually play him against the devils just because they're completely out of it. Um, and they don't really have a great goalie to go up against them. Um, that's what I would do. I would also give Anderson like a a bit longer of a rest because he's gonna get. Basically, he'd get basically Tuesday to Friday off, which is a nice break for him and a needed break. Uh, it was Jamie McLennan, I think, that said about the goal, the backup getting the first game. Right. Um, so, and then, like, my issue with starting Anderson in the first one is if you lose, then you feel like the second's like a must-win. Right. Um, and then you, you almost want Anderson there. Um, so, just because the Rangers are somewhat in the playoff picture, I would put Anderson in that one, but again, like, I don't think it's it's, it's a, not a huge big deal, right? deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a few last notes I'll make. Uh, one, Nick Robertson played today. Um, Cole Caulfield scored four goals. He's going to be incredible. Just his speed, his shot. Um, he looks like a, a future 40 goal scorer in the, for the NHL. Uh, but Nick Robertson is very good as well. He's just so slippery. He's a smaller player that just plays heavy. He's got a great shot. He can beat you on a one-timer. He can beat you uh, with a wrist shot like he did today. Uh, he's a good passer in the middle of the 1-3-1. One, one. Uh, I think he's going to be... I think a lot of the talk in the next couple weeks on Leafs Twitter is going to be about Robertson because I think he's going to put on a show. Um, I do think he's the second-best prospect in the Leafs organization uh, behind Sandine Now, Sandine is... I expect him to be very good in this tournament. I will say that the, the forwards on Sweden aren't as good as they usually are this year. I do think Canada and U.S. are probably the two best teams, but I mean Sweden, Finland, they always show up in these tournaments. Um, I'm sure they're still going to have good rosters, and, and anyone can beat anyone. Um, Canada's pretty exciting. I think we're going to get a good tournament, but uh, I, I will say that I am excited to talk about sandine and robertson in the coming weeks and again as we mentioned earlier we're hoping to have ian Tulich on uh either the next episode or the following episode so uh thanks everyone for listening and, and we hope to we hope that you tune in next week